supporting you in your dog parenting journey. The Dynamic Dog Owner with Debbie Potter. Hi guys, I hope you are all well um, and enjoying a lovely week with your dogs. So this episode is slightly different because we are going to be looking at mistakes and negatives, um, which I don't necessarily like to do, but sometimes I think it's really good to highlight. So we're going to be looking at some of the mistakes that people tend to make, but we're going to be flipping them on their head and making a positive or at least a bit of training advice out of them as to how we should do things instead. It's not great to look at the negatives, but sometimes it's really helpful because it makes us go, oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> and then you can recognize what you do and, and change it slightly. So whether this is mainly sort of aimed at when you get a new puppy or a, mate, a new dog, but it kind of transfers into many new situations. So it, it kind of may, bits of it may be relevant to everybody. Some bits may just be relevant to, to puppies, but everyone will gain something from it, even if that's because you're planning to have another puppy in the future. So when you welcome a new dog into your family, I don't know about you guys, but it is probably one of the most exciting times. With all of my dogs, the first one came to me slightly differently, but all of them, when I first got them, it has been so exciting. The sort of excitement about knowing you're going to get another dog or a puppy, um, going and getting all their bits and pieces from the shop, and then kind of counting down to puppy day, and sort of all the excitement about sharing your life with this new being and this new dog. It, it's amazing, but it can also be filled with a little bit of sort of trepidation, a little bit of pressure, responsibility, and you start to go, oh gosh, am I making the right decision? We've all done it and we all do it. Um, every dog I've had, or the three puppies I've had, on the way to the breeder to collect them, despite having been looking forward to it for, for months, I always have that moment of, are we doing the right thing? What if they don't get on with the others? What if it doesn't go to plan? What if this puppy's an absolute nightmare? Um, and I know sensibly I know when I think about it I know I'm being irrational but we can't help those little thoughts coming in our mind so even for uh, the people who know what they're doing it still causes those emotions um because it is a big responsibility you know you're caring for another species another animal f forever um, the rest of its life so it is you know, tricky and we do tend to put an awful lot, of, awful lot of pressure on ourselves and we want to get things right and sometimes we don't necessarily know how to, and we can get sort of tied up on doing things, not incorrectly, but in a less constructive way. Um, so, so we're going to be discussing the things that generally we find people get wrong. So the mistakes that happen um, that tend to not necessarily make, make things uh, unsuccessful, but they do hinder progress and make progress a little bit slower or create opportunities for things to go wrong. Um, but we're going to look at how we can change those and what we should be doing instead. Um, so first thing, and this applies to puppies or um, adult dogs, if you're getting a new adult dog, is to give your dog too much freedom too soon. Um, and that simply means that you let them in your home and you go, here's your new house. And they're allowed free reign of the house. They're allowed to go wherever they want to go. Um, they don't have many physical boundaries from the start. Um, and then 
it's basically is a recipe for disaster. You then have your puppy who is peeing in every room of the house, who is finding things they shouldn't, who's getting themselves into mischief, who's peeing and pooing behind the sofa and everything else. And <laughs> so one of the ways we can counteract this, and often I get it because people want their puppy or their dog to be part of the family. I do too. I'm really hot on my dogs are part of the family. Um, so we don't want to almost put them in a pen, so to speak. I'll put them in a different area. There's ways we can do it that are easier to integrate them, but also create that healthy boundary. Um, and simply too much freedom means there's so many things for your dog to learn at once. And we're setting them up to get it wrong. And one of the big things I like to focus on is setting dogs up to get things right by taking really small steps in progress. So if we have a puppy pen, that doesn't necessarily mean just for puppies, um, but a pen, a play pen, um, or a, some people use a crate, I personally don't, um, or having a room that is what we call proofed, so it is safe. Um, it basically means you're having control over where your dog is allowed access to. So that particular space, you can make sure is free from any danger. So there's nothing that could be chewed like wires. Um, there's not access to food. There's not access to your lovely new trainers. Um, you can help make a safe area to limit the opportunity to get things wrong. And in that area, we are only striving to get behavior we want so it means that dogs don't learn to get it wrong and then us have to try and fix it which is odd concept to think about um but in your safe area you can have say for example it's the kitchen a lot of people puppy proof the kitchen um because puppies are tiny and they can't reach the sides yet um but you know we've got an easy floor that we can clean up in case there's any accidents we've got a generally speaking kitchens are quite small um, I personally have a stair gate on mine um, permanently because uh, I like to be able to put the dogs in a separate room if, if I need to. Um, so it's a small area that they can't get into too much mischief because not trailing wires. We can keep you there. Um, puppy play pens are great for not just puppies. Um, you can put them in your living room and create part of your living room that is safe, that is not accessed. You can't get out and access wires, etc. But it creates that safe space where you can control what your puppy has access to and where they can go. It helps with things like toilet training um, and being with you, but learning the boundaries. Um, and we tend to let them do too much too soon and then try and pull back when it starts going wrong. Equally, it's not just about at home. This kind of boards into recall as well. But when you're out for a walk with a new dog, people want to let their dog off the lead or let their puppy off the lead as quickly as possible. And it's normally before they've even worked on recall. And your dog will learn that it's okay to go a bigger distance. It's okay to run up to people. And it's okay to learn rude and unsafe behaviour. Um, because we have this weird notion that dogs can only have fun if they're off lead, which I completely disagree with. Um, dogs can have just as much, if not more fun on lead, um, which is again a topic for another day. Um, but having an element of control 
over how far your dog can travel. To me, that's by using long lines, uh, which are a long lead that you can attach your dog onto, or by using fenced dog walking fields, which are up and down the country. You are, again, creating that safe space where we only get things right. They're on a lead or they're in a safe area. They've got a little bit of freedom, but they can't make the wrong choices. You're creating a situation where they can only get things right. And you're teaching your dog, your new dog or your new puppy, the things you want them to do. I want you to listen to me in this situation. I want you to not run off. I want you to stay with me. Um, so think about that freedom. Are you giving your dog too much freedom too soon before they know how to manage that freedom? The second common mistake um, is quite a, a comical one, really, I think, but it's being too stingy. Um, I always think of Scrooge. Uh, <laughs> many people are really reluctant to reward their dog with food. And I just personally, I don't get it. Um, they tend to think that the dog will become overweight or that it's unhealthy, um, that their dog is should only eat their main food and nothing else. Um, and they tend to keep biscuits as being really boring and they aren't very generous. So they only give them like one every five minutes. Um, and it really affects the progress you and your dog make together. Um, it's expecting your dog to work for praise and praise alone. It's just not going to work. I like to think of food rewards as being payment. And if you're not being paid, are you going to want to do a job? And for most of us, the answer is no. I mean, I love my job, but I still need to be paid for it because I have bills to pay. Um, if I could afford to, I would probably carry on doing it for free. Um, but I can't afford to. I need to earn a wage. And your dog needs to earn a wage because otherwise they're not going to want to work for you and do things you want them to do. New dogs have to learn everything. <laughs> they don't come pre-programmed knowing what dogs should and shouldn't do, um, especially puppies. We have to teach them absolutely everything. And when we give them a food reward, we're communicating a well done. And if they're getting valuable feedback and a well done and a nice payment of a treat they're going to learn that behaviors are more worthwhile doing and it's worth doing that again in case I get a treat so your dog is not being spoilt if you feed them too many treats as long as you use healthy treats you cut them into a size that's appropriate for the size of your dog I mean my fully grown Labradors will work for like the tiniest weeniest treat because they're greedy um but it has to be tasty and often I find that dogs will perform better for one human parent than the other, which often just sort of creates a little bit of um, competition, a little bit of bad feeling between couples. Um, but my observation is that the dogs, new dogs, new puppies, adult dogs will perform better. And I mean perform in the loosest of terms. They will offer better behaviours or more desired behaviours for one parent over the other and it's the one who is more generous with rewards because they're giving a higher rate of payment and the dog's getting more feedback and they know it's worthwhile doing what you want me to do because you pay me you never pay me so I'm not doing it so don't be reluctant to give out food rewards 
Be as generous as you can when your dog is learning something new or when they are in new situations and environments. The more feedback they're receiving, the more they are learning what has a positive uh, connection and they're the more likely they're likely to want to do it. So don't be too stingy. Think of Scrooge and don't be like Scrooge. <laughs> the next common mistake is setting too high an expectation on your new dog or your new puppy. Um, most people expect, especially with puppies, them to just know what to do. It's a dog. It knows that what sit means. It knows this. They don't know or people expect them to know what you want them to do, how you want them to do it, right from wrong. It's simply unfair because because <laughs> puppies do not come with a manual. They're not pre-programmed. They are not robots. They do not know the rules before they come to your home. The majority of their time has been spent with other puppies and their mum learning how to communicate as a dog. They're, they obviously have a human interaction because they've got the breeder's family, etc. But they don't. The main focus of puppy and human interaction comes from when they join your family. So that's where their main human education comes from. You cannot expect your new dog or your new puppy to automatically just know what is expected in a human world or in your world. So we have to remember that a puppy is a baby. They know nothing. A new dog is probably like a rescue dog is really confused and not quite knowing what the rules are because in the old house it was this, in the kennels the rules were that it was a foster home, it was something different. Um it's your responsibility to teach your new dog everything you want them to know. So we have to set lower expectations. If we set our expectation up here, we're setting ourselves up to A, feel disappointed and to fail. And for our puppy to fail, we don't take the onus on us and we tend to blame the new dog. So lower your expectations. Baby steps. The tiniest steps work. Think of um, I don't know if you've seen like the image of a, a ladder where the first rung is so high up that someone can't reach it. Um, and the other ladder has loads of small steps and then the gaps start to get bigger. Your puppy is not going to be able to have success if they can't reach that first rung of the ladder. They need to have really small steps to climb up the beginning parts of the ladder and learn what to do and how to do it. So think of making everything as easy as you possibly can and lower the expectations of what you expect from a new dog. Try and look at the world from their perspective, which can be quite tricky. And that's obviously what we like to try um, and teach you. The next thing is giving your puppy or your dog too many instructions. Um, it's whether that be, you know, too many in quick succession or just expecting them to know what things mean. Most new people to dog world um, or a common mistake we see is that people expect dogs to understand English and a brand new puppy or a new rescue dog, they just start saying words to them um, and the dog doesn't know what it means. They just assume that they do. And again, this comes back to that dogs don't come with a manual. They don't read the guide of the translation book. Sit means put your bottom on the floor. Lay down means put your tummy on the floor. Um, spin around means twirl around. They don't know that. They don't have any clue what it means. And people tend to start using words, what we call a verbal cue, 
multiple times over and over again. Sit, 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 sit. Your puppy or your dog hasn't got a clue what you're going on about because you haven't taught it what that word means yet. Eventually they might sit, but only because they go, I don't know what the person needs. I don't know what they want. Well, yesterday, what happened yesterday? Yesterday I was doing something. Oh, I put my bum on the floor and they fed me. Let me try that. That might be on the sixth time you've said sit. And then you go, they just needed to be told six times. When actually your puppy was so confused or your dog was really confused and they were just trying to work out what has happened in the past and what might work this time. So people like to talk. I mean, you may have noticed I really like to talk. Um, and it's no wonder because our main way of communicating is through speaking, speaking and listening. It, it's how we gain information and it's how we communicate with each other. But dogs are very different and dogs primarily communicate through visual cues and visual body language signals. Um, and we need to incorporate that into our learning so that we can meet them halfway and almost talk dog and then teach them English. Um, so think about when you ask your puppy to do something, have you actually shown them what that word means and taught them the word before you're actually using it? So, for example, that means you teach them to sit with a visual hand gesture following treats, for example, first. You then ask them to do it over and over again. They see what the hand gesture looks like. Um, for me, it's a flat, a flat palm on my hand coming up to my palm coming up to face me. Um, they see that gesture over and over again, paired with, oh, I put my bum on the floor and then I get a treat. When they know the action, that's when we add the word in because they already know what to do. So when we've taught them, we are helping them get it right. Classic example is, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a foreign country where you don't speak the language. Um, it's really hard to communicate and we tend to resort to doing a few different things. Either saying the word really clearly, um, repeating it loudly, He's probably like on a fools and horses sketch. Um, or we then start miming. I've been there um, many years ago before I had kids, a very long time ago. My husband and I went to um, Switzerland, a lovely little village in Switzerland that I need to go back to. I haven't been for a little while. Um, and we went to a cafe that was closed officially because it was in the middle of winter. Um, but they opened especially for us. And the little couple there only spoke Swiss German. Now, I know a bit of German. I do not know the local dialect of Swiss German. So we went to the cafe. They didn't speak any English. We didn't speak any Swiss German. Um, it was quite comical because we ended up playing an amazing game of charades because they were pointing at our feet. I didn't know why they were pointing at my feet. And <laughs> I was like going through, what on earth do they need? What do they want from me? And I was like, you want me to take my shoes off? And started miming undoing my laces. They were like, no, 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 no. And then they kept pointing to the sole of my shoe. And after about five minutes of, of them making gestures and me looking totally confused, I worked out they were asking me if I had ice crampons on my boot and I didn't. So I was like, no, I don't. So they said, that's fine. Keep your shoes on. Come in. Um, all through mime gestures. It was comical. And then I'd gone and order cake and everything. Um without speaking English. It was a really interesting experience. Um, but the point is, language didn't work. 
I couldn't speak to them. They couldn't speak to me. We had to resort to different methods. And that's what we have to do with our dogs because they don't speak English. And we cannot speak dog because we're not dogs. But we can take the time to understand how dogs communicate and meet them halfway to get success. So try not to give your dog too many instructions before you've taught them what those words actually mean and what action you want from that word. So the next common mistake, and it kind of ties into a previous um, episode, is underestimating time. However long you think it's going to train your new puppy or your new dog, double it. It's about one of those mass equations. Double it, add six months, double it again, minus five. You're probably about there. Um, it's not a designated time. of It will take you two months to train your new dog to do X, Y, and Z. Every dog is different. Um, so take that into consideration. Most people underestimate how long it takes for a dog to settle into a new home Generally, it's months. How much time does it take for training, supervising your dog? And again, it tends to take a long time, especially if you have a puppy who needs to go through their developmental stages of adolescence. It might take three or four years for you to get where you want to get to with your dog. Um, Training is not something we can rush. We've all heard of the fable about the hare and the tortoise. Um, The slow tortoise wins the race the slower you go the more you're looking at foundations and really teaching solid instructions and solid habits into your dog that will last you for years so successfully training a dog takes years not months i always talk about labradors because obviously i've got two of them but your average labrador doesn't reach emotional maturity until they're around three or four years old The main part of their learning happens when they are puppies. But just like people, we learn forever. Um, But be prepared for the long haul. It's not going to be a case of, well, I've attended a six week puppy class. Why aren't you trained now? Um, It's just the beginning. That's like taking your your puppy to preschool. They then need to carry on through their education. However, um, they progress through education. So our next mistake is not considering consequences (laughs) um so we tend to not understand the consequences that dogs associate with their actions and we create unwanted problems um but we also forget that what we do so our dog's actions have consequences but our actions have consequences to how we react to what our dog is doing will have a consequence and sometimes those things will not ever change all actions have a consequence and that's what our dogs will work on more than anything else so if your dog does something you like be generous don't be scrooge be generous reward them they will repeat it the more you reward it the more they'll repeat it rewards as we've spoken about in a previous episode, check it out, are not just about getting a treat. Um, The consequence is enjoyable, fun, gets a good result or a good feeling, it's a reward. The consequence of our actions are possibly more important. So as people, we tend to react quite quickly. Obviously, that's life. We cannot change who we are and how we naturally act. 
Um, but a classic is that a puppy will wee on the floor or a new dog might poo on the floor um, and we get cross and we shout at them. We tend to think that that will mean the puppy is not going to do it in front of us again. But the consequence of that tends to be, my goodness, if I wee in front of a person, they're really cross and scary. Do you know what? I'm not going to pee in front of people anymore. And that's when you start finding pee marks behind your sofa, under the coffee table, or when you take them out on a walk or into the garden for a wee, they refuse to do it because you are watching. And if I wee in front of them, they will shout at me. So what we think we are teaching as a consequence, dogs factor in so many environmental cues and, in, and make up a picture of a situation that we're often creating the wrong one. Same goes for things like, um, and obviously I have retrieve and breed, so this applies to me a lot. When your puppy or your new dog takes something that they shouldn't have, our natural reaction is to chase them with it. So what happens is the dog then goes, one of two things. One, wow, if I take stuff, all of a sudden the people are really interested in me and want to play with me. This is great. So I will take stuff to initiate interaction with my people. Or the second is, they try and get it off of me, they steal it and I'm not allowed it back. So I am going to run as fast as I can and not let them near me. If you've got a dog that needs to retrieve and needs things in their mouth, I have three of them. I never take things off of them or initiate play or do anything around those treat those items because I don't want that to happen. So for me, whenever my puppy picks something up in their mouth, wow, what have you got? That's amazing. Can I see it? And they'll come over and we'll have a cuddle. Um, I fuss them. I don't attempt to take the object off of them because I don't want them to not bring things to me um, because obviously that's in their breed to do it. And I'm lucky that all of my three will bring everything to me, um, even things I don't really want. Um, they'll bring things to me we'll swap them in a nice happy relaxed playing way so our actions and what we say and what we do in response to wanted or unwanted behaviors make a massive difference so the next mistake is not considering the future and this is especially with puppies not necessarily for well it can be for adult dogs too but especially with puppies we forget that our cute and cuddly puppy is one day not going to be cute and cuddly, especially if you've got a bigger breed. Um, they are cute and fluffy now, and it's cute when they jump up, and it's cute when they do all these different behaviours. But when they're an adult dog, it's probably not going to be as funny, um, and people are not going to be as tolerating. So just remember... It may be cute now if they run up and jump up at people, running around the garden with your washing and pulling on the lead. But when your puppy is fully grown, is that going to be cute then or is it going to be a real pain in the bottom? Consider your future dog or your, when, you're, when they're a puppy. Think about whether you're rewarding things that you want to continue into adulthood. So, for example, if you've got a big dog, my, my guys are big, um, if I encourage my puppies to jump up at me and allow them to jump up for attention, when will they learn that's suddenly not acceptable? So from day one, you don't jump up for attention. Four feet on the floor gets your attention and that's it. It's easier to learn new good habits from the beginning 
rather than break old habits. The other sort of thing is, again, especially with, with new, or this is the last point, actually, um, with new puppies, new dogs, is to not let them just be a puppy or a dog. We tend to see a lot of people try and A, have high expectations, which we've already covered, but micromanage their entire world, make everything super structured and they expect perfect behaviour at all times. A lot of people want everything right now, but we have to remember that dogs have to be dogs. They have to have that opportunity to just act and behave like dogs do. Time to chill out and relax and make their own decisions. Puppies especially need time to grow and develop. They have to go through all of the development stages. If we try and rush them and not let them do that, we're hindering their development. So the more experiences we allow them to have as being a natural dog, will allow them to grow into a content dog. So we need to let them display natural dog behaviour, like sniffing. The amount of people I see pulling their dog along the road when they start getting a sniff, oh, it really winds me up. Let your dog sniff. It's a natural dog behaviour. Um, but try and allow time for them to be a dog, for them to explore, to develop, to grow, to sleep. A lot of people forget that dogs do need to sleep. And sometimes, yes, we can do our structured training, but we also need to just sit back and enjoy the ride. Let them have time to be a dog and enjoy that time. Um, so hopefully, I say the common mistakes, um, everyone makes them at some point in their life. We all have. And sometimes just having them identified to you helps you go, oh, yeah, I'm a bit stingy with my treats. Or yeah, maybe I do let them have a bit too much freedom. Or, you know, maybe I don't let them be a dog enough. Um, it's by no means a sort of a negative towards humans, um, because we all make mistakes. I hold my hands up. I always make mistakes. And I, the, the most important thing is that we learn from the mistakes we make. So highlighting those little mistakes that we see quite commonly may just make you reflect on yourself and go, yeah, maybe that's me. Maybe I am not as generous. Maybe I set high expectations etc and then you can recognize those and move on and have better success because you have recognized your tiny little flaws um again hopefully i you have enjoyed the episode um can't wait to uh hear your feedback i'd love to hear your feedback about what you think of our episodes whether that be um, by leaving a rating or a review on whatever platform you are listening through or head over to our Instagram, the Dynamic Dog Owner, um, and you can share us in your comments, your feedback, share a photo of your dog. We'd love to see it. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed the episode and I will catch up with you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Dynamic Dog Owner with me, Debbie Potter. See you next time.